0: Hey guys, this is me. Did you move today? Welcome to a Did You Move Today podcast. I'm your host, Andrea, and I'm very excited to be here. In this episode, I have Travis Pullen as my guest. He's a personal trainer and PhD candidate in rehabilitation sciences at Drexel University. His research interests focus on core stability, movement screening, and injury risk assessments in athletes. His work focuses on bridging the gaps between rehabilitation and performance, as well as between research and practice. So let's get started. Hi, Travis. Hi. Can you hear me?
1: Yeah, can you hear me?
0: Yeah, I can hear you perfectly. Uh, Thank you very much for your time and for being here.
1: Thank you. I'm excited.
0: Yeah, I'm very excited. I'm very excited that you're here. Um, So, you know, my first question is, I would like to know about your movement journey. How did everything started for you?
1: Sure. So I was born missing my left leg, uh, which is a very rare thing. Um, I don't know the exact stats, but supposedly it's like a one in a million birth defect. And so um, like the doctors really weren't sure how much I would be able to move um, because oftentimes what happens when with the birth defect is that it's not just the one leg that's missing, but it can be the opposite leg that's also affected. So fortunately, um, I actually displayed a propensity for movement for from an early age. Uh, like my mom likes to tell us a story about how like, even before I could walk, I was throwing balls around the living room. So I, you know, I don't know if that's actually true or not, but it paints a picture. Um, so, so growing up, I, I played, you know, the same sports that most kids play baseball, basketball, soccer, and I was fine, you know, as a little kid, but as I got into my teenage years, I started feeling like I was slowing down compared to my peers who you know, we're hitting growth spurts and uh, getting faster and getting, you know, with two legs, it's a lot easier to move around than it was with one leg and a prosthesis. So um, by the time I was maybe 13 years old, I had stopped playing baseball and stopped playing basketball. And I was sort of searching for my movement identity at the time. And I, I wanted to be an athlete. So when I got to high school, I tried out for the golf team, which was really a terrible idea because I had never played golf. Um, and I don't, I don't know if I would have been good at it if I stuck with it, but I, I, I didn't make the team when I tried out and I was frustrated. But the following year, kind of on a whim, I tried out for the swim team. And fortunately for me that year, the um, the team didn't make any cuts because they needed more guys. And so I, I made the team and Um, That was kind of a turning point in my life, because for the next seven years, I pretty much swam consistently year round um, up to the point of um, my through college and in college my junior year, I broke an American record for swimmers missing an arm or a leg in freestyle. Uh, And then the following year in 2012, I tried out for the Paralympic team. And unfortunately, I didn't make the team, um, but it was, I mean, the whole process was just an amazing, you know, journey of hard work and um, adversity and developing the love of the sport, which um, just propelled me into doing what I'm doing now.
0: And you start, you start work, you you start in college, you did an undergrad, you did uh, physics, right? That was your major.
1: Yeah, so I, I majored in physics. And uh, I, w- I was telling a friend the other day, I said, why'd you major in physics? I said, I'm not a very fast reader. And so physics was good because there were, you know, the, the textbook chapters that we would have to read were only a few very dense pages of equations, as compared to like 300 pages of this and that a week that all my friends were doing. Um, and of course, I, I was good at math and good at science. Um, and it physics kind of dovetailed with my love of sport uh to the point where I went on to pursue a master's degree in biomechanics which is kind of like the intersection between physics and human movement and then now what I'm doing with rehabilitation sciences
0: I want to talk a little bit about that um about right now I know you're in grad school and you're doing your PhD right that's that's what you're working for
1: yep exactly
0: and um I was listening to other episodes, other podcasts that you've done with other people. And I know you said that it's a lot of work right now that you're (laughs) doing your PhD. So I want to know about your experience in grad school, um, you know, from your master's to your PhD. um, And if you have any advice for people that are either going to start grad school or that are currently in their PhD. um, So I want to talk a little bit about that.
1: So I started my master's degree a few years ago in amputee gait biomechanics, and of course that's fitting because I am an amputee. Uh, and so I was studying the the way amputees walk, and I had a you know a good couple of years doing that. And at, when I finished, I had the opportunity to go on and pursue a PhD in that same field, and I realized that. Although the field was interesting, it wasn't what I was really passionate about. What I was really passionate about was sports and injury prevention. And so uh, I decided to take a year off uh, and look for different programs where I could actually do the thing that I was really passionate about. Because, you know, if you're going to spend four or five years of your life pursuing a Ph.D., um, or, or any advanced degree, you want to make sure that you, it excites you. And it-
0: so right now, because I know you, you, um, you were at uh, Delaware, right? University of Delaware? Yep. Okay. Yep.
1: So I did and- my master's at University of Delaware in biomechanics. And now I'm at Drexel uh, in rehabilitation sciences.
0: For your PhD. Did you, so you said that you had the option to continue in Delaware and do your PhD there?
1: Yeah, um, with you know, same- I had a good relationship. Yeah, I had a good relationship with my mentor there. The facilities there were really amazing, um, and it was you know Delaware was an hour from my home in Philadelphia, so I was living there. But then I was coming back and forth on the weekends to see my girlfriend, and so it, it was an okay setup. But uh, you know, I didn't, I couldn't see myself continuing that for four more years, and so. Fortunately, I, you know, I, I made what what turned out to be the right choice in turning that opportunity down um, because I found such a good opportunity here at Drexel.
0: Great. And did you? So did you look more? Were you looking more at the the? Were you looking for a mentor uh, when you were looking for your PhD? Were you looking for a mentor? Were you looking for the research or both? Were you looking for the all all
1: of the above? So so. Kind of the is, the at least for me, was you, you basically go online and look at the different programs. So, of course, the program has to be in the area that you are interested in, yes. kinesiology, um, biomechanics, rehabilitation, exercise science. But then it's really about finding the right, um, the right person who's doing the, the research that you're interested in. And so I was fortunate to find uh, two co-advisors at Drexel who were interested in getting into swimming research. One was a shoulder expert and one was a low back expert. And those are two commonly injured body regions in swimmers. And so it was just like a really fortuitous pairing, like right right time, right place, where the the university is literally two miles from my house. um, And there were these people (laughs) who were but we're doing exactly what I wanted to be doing.
0: Can we talk about your research uh, right now?
1: Yeah. So, so I'm looking at risk factors for injury in college swimmers. And so the, in particular, uh, the risk factors that I'm looking at are previous injuries, the way that the swimmers move both on land and in water, and uh, the last... So basically... Um, I followed the swimmers over the course of their season. And I, um, with the help of the swim coach, I found out who was getting injured, how much training they were doing. And prior to the season, I had sent them a questionnaire about all their previous injuries. Um, And then at the same time, we, like a team of researchers and I, went and watched them go through all these land based movement tests. And then we watched them swim and we made notes about how they swam. And so ultimately I'm, I'm one season in and I, I may be collecting more data, but at this point it looks like the two biggest risk factors are previous injuries, which makes sense, right? If you've had an injury before, like in the season before or maybe within the last two seasons, you're more likely to have another injury. And then training load. So, I, like I liken it to a couch to a five k program, where you, you know, you have been sedentary for a while. You want to run a run, You want to run a five k, and you download an app or a training program that slowly progresses you to from you know doing very little to being able to run that five k. So that's the best way to do it gradually over a period of several weeks and months. Mm -hmm. And the course of that would be, uh, you decide that tomorrow you're going to run a 5k after not doing anything for three years. Um, And so you, you start training really hard all of a sudden, and that is oftentimes when injuries occur. And I found the same thing um, in my study with the swimmers is that, When they went from doing very little to doing a lot, that was when the injuries were more likely to happen.
0: Now, um, question concerning this. Well, actually, I have two questions. The first one, I know you mentioned um, in this other episode that um, the students that you're working with, are um, these athletes, are at Delaware University. Is this right or am I just
1: making something up so they are at my previous institution so yeah yeah, so they're at Swarthmore which was my undergrad so it's it's been interesting because I've been out of Swarthmore I graduated in 2012 and so the the head coach now is different from the head coach when I was there but the assistant coaches are the same it's just interesting to see like the team culture has shifted a little bit Mm -hmm. um because the, the head coach is, is very – this the program has become more serious. In fact, their men's team won their conference this year. They came in first place, uh, which we never did when I was there. So, it, of course, the, the school dynamic is still the same. Like, it's a really high academic workload. And now, at the same time, they are – you know, they have mandatory uh, strength training sessions. And they they're just – the, the team dynamic has really taken a positive turn since I was there. And it's been cool to see that.
0: I think it's cool that you're able to, even if you're at Drexel now, that you're still able to work with, you know.
1: I, I was so lucky. Yeah. I Like person number one or maybe person number two after my advisor that I would have to thank is the swim coach there who's just been able to work with me to give me access to the the team in the way that I need it and to you know, be sending me the data that I need every week. It's just, it, it, it's a lot of work for her. And in, in return, she'll get, you know, a report from me of what I think are the, you know, what the data say about what the risk factors are for injury to help her better understand why her swimmers are getting injured. But of course, for me, it helps me because I'm going to get my PhD and I wouldn't have without her.
0: Yeah. Now, um, I have a, this other question is concerning research. Um, For those people that are trying to, you know, read um, papers, what are the basics to understand a paper? How can, how can, how can I get started?
1: Yeah. So it's tricky because for one thing, you have to have access to the papers. Uh, And there are ways that you can go around paywalls to get access to papers. But the easiest way, of course, is to be in school and your library to give you access. So, so the first thing is actually being able to read the whole paper as, as compared to just reading the abstract. Of course, the abstract should tell you the important and salient points from a paper, but just reading that alone doesn't really give you the nuance. Um, and beside the fact that the researchers can kind of you know, tell you the important things in the abstract, but not tell you the maybe slightly less important things, but that would still impact your interpretation. So so the biggest thing I would say is to one, try to get your hands on the whole paper and read it. And two, do that a lot, because at first it's going to be gibberish. Um, even if you have like a strong science background, the way that academic papers are written, it's just kind of, it's not quite another language, but it's, it's a little bit like that, at least at first. And so that just takes practice. And then the other thing that I would say would be to read it in in groups. So what we call journal clubs, where um, you know we meet once a month. There's a big group of us, and we've all read the paper, um, and then we discuss the paper. And so what that does is it helps point out the things that you might have missed, um, and it you know other people's interpretations of what they're reading. And so that for me has just helped me become a much better consumer of the research. And then the last thing I'll say is e- either in conjunction or before doing all that is having a strong statistics mm-hmm. and research methods background is really important because you could read the paper uh, and you could kind of gloss over the methods and the statistics, which sometimes you know, I'll admit that I even have to do when it's statistics that are just too, too above my head. Um, of course, I shouldn't tell my PhD advisor that because kind of <laughs> the the goal of getting the doctorate is that you can, you are really, you're really able to understand anything that you would come across. And and in conjunction with that, that does mean becoming at least very literate in statistics. Um, you know, not to the point that you have a, a PhD in statistics too, but you have to be able to understand if the the researchers chose the right statistical test. For the question that they're asking. Uh, and, and that can be very tricky. Um, and, and so, yeah, it just having that basic knowledge, um, because otherwise, you when you read it, you're forced to just assume that the researchers did everything correctly. And, it, it, you know, in some cases, if it's a really good journal, The researchers are um, very established. You can hope that all of that is the case and everything is good. Um, But there are other journals that are not quite as good. And there are researchers who um, just aren't as um, meticulous as others. And so there's, there's research out there that isn't as high quality as other research. So it's not just like, Oh, it was published. It must be right. There's, you know, You have to be, you have to scrutinize it.
0: Do you feel like you had a, like a really good knowledge of statistics right before you started your master's or that's something that you develop within your master's? And then, well, of course, now that you have your PhD, I'm sure you understand. Uh, So so
1: I'm I'm still working on my PhD. I'm hopefully going to finish in 2020, but um, I, so I, I guess I had like a decent foundation because I, like I said, I majored in physics and I actually minored in math in undergrad, but the, so I I took some statistics courses in undergrad, but they were more theoretical. And so it wasn't really until I got to my master's that I was actually, you know, doing real statistics like myself with data, um, before I had just kind of been talking about it. And so the process of, uh, like taking courses during my master's and then taking more courses during my PhD and the, the courses during the PhD were kind of similar to the ones during the master's, but it's always good to see things again and see things from a new perspective, see things when you're a little bit more, you know, farther along in your academic journey. And so each, each time that I've been exposed, I feel like I've gotten a little bit more out of it. Um, and now I, I feel pretty confident, at least in the analyses that I've done before, and whenever I'm confronted with a, a new analysis, either if I'm, if I have to do it myself for my research or I'm reading about it in a paper that I'm trying to understand, uh, like I have a good framework for, okay, you know, to, first, does this pass like the sniff test? <laughs> you know, does this seem like the right thing? And then as I dig deeper into it, understanding, okay, what are the limitations of that statistical analysis? Um, could, was there one that they should have done instead? And so I, I'm, I'm getting to that point. And I think that that's, that's really, it, it is really important. Yeah. Cause you could, like I said, you could just read the paper and kind of gloss over that stuff, or you can get really into the weeds. And when you get really into the weeds, that's going to give you a better sense of how correct and important the findings that the authors are presenting are.
0: what's your day to day, Travis? I know you do a lot of things. You have your own blog. You have, you know, you're working on your PhD. You also have your personal training um, certification. So, like, how, like, how do you do everything, and 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 how do you, yeah, what's what's your what's your day to day? How does it look like?
1: I so I'm I'm fortunate that I have a lot of flexibility in my you know work life schedule, and so I like, of course, I'm a full time student, but as you said. I also have my blog on the side. I also train people in person and train people remotely. So online training. And so I'm, of course I'm busy and I I kind of work around the clock, Um, but I I do it at my own schedule. Um, A lot of times I'm working from home because I have like a, an office at home. I have a nice external monitor. It makes it easier than working on my 13 inch MacBook screen. Um, And so, yeah, I just, you know, there's, as a as a doctoral student there is it's kind of open-ended like people ask me when are you going to finish when can I call your doctor it's like uh I don't know sometime in the next year or two Mm -hmm. because it's it's large it's one self-directed to an extent because like okay I have my data I have to analyze it I have to write it up and I could work uh 24 7 to do that or I could like be healthy and work a, you know, 40, 50 hour work week. And and so I, I try to not go crazy and I try to just do, I try to do a good amount of work, but also do high quality work. And I think that there are people like you could just rush it and you could try to just finish really quickly, but it won't be as high quality. Um, but like I said, I'm, I'm fortunate that I I'm able to work kind of at my own pace within the confines of how research has to happen. Because like, for example, the swim season, go, the college swim season goes from September to February. And so there was a little bit of a sprint to get everything ready for the start of the season last September. Um, but I realized that if I didn't have it ready, then I was going to have to wait an entire year longer to, to get the study started. Mm -hmm. um so so from that standpoint there are logistical constraints but it it very much depends like on the advisor because I have peers in my same program who um their advisor not that she's more demanding but just like they they have more like week-to-week deadlines uh versus mine it's like okay long as you're doing what you're supposed to be doing and you get it done by this farther out date like i don't need to see it every week you know okay. and so i i work well that way because i'm self motivated and not that the other students aren't self-motivated but their advisor just wants to see them at you know their things at more
0: checkpoints now do you see so, it's, so it just depends. yeah go ahead sorry to interrupt
1: you yeah no it just it just depends on you know, what your relationship with with your advisor is, what the expectations are, how far along you are. Because at the beginning, you know, at the beginning of the PhD, there's a lot of coursework. And so during, during that time, you know, you have to be in class you know, several days a week. You have homework assignments that are due on such and such dates. But once you get through all of that coursework, then it's really on you to be continuing to read in your area and to be writing papers um, and, you know, doing the things that you need to do to be ready for ultimately the final defense at the end where you, you know, you show all of your research and you answer all the questions and then they say, okay, you're, you know, you've earned it.
0: Do you see yourself? Um, and I think I know the answer, but I'm still going to ask, uh, do you see yourself only in academia or do you see yourself in like outside academia and also in academia? Or you uh,
1: it's I'm like, so <laughs> I'm, I'm on the fence right now. Um, and I, I have to, like a few months ago, my advisor said, you know, you should, if you're going to finish in the next year, you should start looking for jobs. And I was just not prepared for that <laughs> thought at all. Because I like prior to starting the PhD, I was like, oh, okay, this will give me three or four more years to kind of figure out what I want. Mm-hmm. And I think I'm even more torn now than I was before. So the the options, I guess, would be, like you said, to go into academia and be a full time professor uh, teaching and researching or to go more uh, like the route of uh, strength and conditioning where I'm working with people. Um, And of course, with my blog, like I said, I Mm -hmm. like to write a lot. And so kind of the advice that I've gotten from some of my mentors is to go into academia um, and be a teaching professor And over the period of a few years, you will kind of get comfortable with the courses that you have to teach. And when that happens, you'll have a good amount of flexibility and free time to pursue the other things like the writing, um, like the working with athletes. And so I, you know, on the one hand, that sounds really great. But on the other hand, that also sounds like most of my time would be teaching and like a smaller minority of my time would be working with people. And at least right now, I kind of envision my workload flipped where I'm working with people, maybe hopefully athletes most of the time. And then I'm doing a little bit of teaching, um, but I'm sort of still trying to figure out if that type of job exists in the real world or only in my imagination.
0: <laughs> like a hybrid of doing both at the same doing, Exactly. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Because yeah. I, I like having worked. I Having worked as a full-time uh, sports performance coach, I, I missed the academic side of things. Um, but then being in academia full t- uh, you know, as a student full-time, I had, at, when I started my PhD, I really ramped down the tr- amount of training and writing that I was doing because I wanted to focus on school, of course, mm-hmm. uh, to make the most of the time. But I ultimately realized that my, I'm so much more fulfilled when I'm doing both. Uh, like the and that kind of it sort of coincides with my personal mission, I guess you could call it, of mm-hmm. kind of bridging the gap between the research and the practice. And so I want to have a foot in both sides because as a researcher, I think it's really important to understand how the real world works. And then when you're in the real world, I think it's really important to understand how the research works. And so those two things go hand in hand. Like if I work with people, I can, that'll better inform what kind of research I do um, and vice versa. If I'm, you know, if I'm well entrenched in the research, then I can better apply that to the people that I work with.
0: Yeah. I want to be very mindful of your time. Um, so I have two more. Qu- well, I actually have three more questions for you. Uh, my f- three. You said yeah. two. I know I said two and now three but you see, it will make sense. So um, the first one is, uh, did you move today?
1: So we're recording at 11 a.m. here and I admittedly was up late last night and slept in this morning, so I have not moved yet. But in my defense, I did. I will move today. Uh, I'm going to lift weights with one of my classmates this afternoon. And also I did a very good swimming workout yesterday. And I am particularly proud of that because um, they're swimming since I quote unquote retired in 2012 after I tried out for the Paralympics. I've sort of had a weird relationship with it because when you get to not not to say that I was like amazing, but I was pretty good. And so it's hard not to compare myself now to what I was then. And of course, because I I do it so infrequently now, like maybe once a month, maybe a little bit more frequently during the summer. Um, But it's hard not to be uh, like frustrated because I can't do the things that I used to be able to do. Uh, So the nice thing about the summer is that I'm able to swim outside at a community pool where there are no pace clocks. And so I don't know how fast I'm going. And I only have the 45 minutes that adult swim is at the end of the day. So I can't do any more than that. And so it's just, it's a nice time to not worry about how fast I'm swimming or how long I'm resting and just swim and enjoy the, the sun and the fresh air. So I, uh, you know, I just, a- after the workout yesterday, I reflected on how nice that was um, and how it, you know, it wasn't as frustrating as it often can be. When I, I'm inside and there's a pace clock, and I'm every every lap is like a reminder of how not in shape I am as I used to be.
0: <laughs> I I have to tell you that swimming is very hard. I went to a class on Monday and it's it was I did like an hour and thirty minutes. Um, it's intense. That's a, like, that's a
1: long workout.
0: It, it's intense. Swimming is intense. I have hands down for all of the uh, swimmers out there and you.
1: Yeah, it's. I mean, of the. And that's swimming is, of course, the only sport that I've competed at at a high level. But it is both physically and psychologically taxing, Um, because if you you just think about like the with team sports, I think that there's well, I don't know, but I imagine that there's more of an ebb and flow in terms of easier days and harder days. With swimming, it's just like every day you're going to at some point in the training session, you're going to have to swim really fast. And some days you just don't feel like it, uh, like going into it, but you have to do it anyway. And that can be very, you know, psychologically tough, Um, especially when you think about doing it every day or, you know, six days a week, maybe over 50 weeks out of the year, because that's kind of the typical um, that's just what people do, uh, that they, they take very little time off. And so, yeah, it's, I, I look back fondly on the seven years that I trained that way. Um, and I sometimes flirt with the idea of going back to it, but it's not like that, that sort of 20 hour a week commitment isn't something that can be taken lightly. <laughs> Therefore I have not, <laughs> I have not pursued that any further than just like, Oh, that would be cool to try it again.
0: <laughs> Travis, what's movement for
1: you? Um, that's a really good question. And I, I think the, the one word that I would equate it to is a gift. Um, having come from, you know, being born with one leg and people, you know, that like I said, the doctor's not really sure being sure what I would be able to do as far as movement goes to being able to wear a prosthetic leg and being able to walk and I can run a little bit, uh, I can take my prosthesis off and swim. It's just a, a way to um, express myself and uh, get out my energy. Um, and it's, it's like, when we, I think we don't realize how important movement is to us until it's taken away. Um, like for example, if you have an injury that prevents you from doing some of the things that you want to be able to do, for example, uh, a couple of years ago, I started rock climbing. And so I I do it casually, but, uh, a few months ago I hurt my shoulder and I wasn't able to rock climb for a couple of months. And, uh, I didn't realize, I mean, of course I knew I loved it, but I didn't realize just how much I loved it until I couldn't do it anymore because the injury. And so I as best I can, I try to, um, you know, enjoy exercise and enjoy movement when I'm able to do it and try not to take it for granted.
0: Where can we find you online?
1: Uh, So I'm on social media. I'm on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. I think if you search my name, I should come up first. There aren't too many Travis Pollins or you can search Fitness Pollinator. Um, That's the, that's the, the, um, the handle. The handle. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and my website is also fitnesspollinator.com.
0: And people can get a booklet also for free.
1: Oh, yeah. So if you go to fitnesspollinator.com, there's a, a free ebook. If you give me your email address, sign up for my email list, then uh, you get instantly a book called 50 Fit Tips, which is just kind of a collection of um, ideas about how to um, get better at training in the gym.
0: Travis, thank you very much for your time. I really appreciate it. When I saw your feed and I found you on Instagram, I'm like, I have to have Travis on my podcast. So I'm going to reach out and you answer very quickly. So I was like, wow, this is awesome. So I'm very, I very I appreciate that
1: here. so much. This, this is a lot of fun.
0: All right. Thank you very much. Anything else that you would like to share with people, um, to all the, with all the listeners
1: uh i don't think so I've, I've probably blabbered on long enough but uh like you said I, i'm pretty responsive if i get a message on any of those outlets so anybody you know can feel free to reach out to me if they have questions you just want to connect
0: all right thank you very much travis all right guys i hope that you moved today and if you haven't you still have a couple hours